Chapter Twelve of the Boy Scouts on Lost Trail by Thornton W. Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve: Beavers and Their Works. The morning dawned dark and gloomy, with a decided threat of rain. However, as none of the boys minded a wetting, it was decided to carry out the program as planned. So, shortly after breakfast, the four started for the upper end of the hollow, leaving Pat in charge of the camp. The pond was not difficult to find. They had only to follow up the brook, which flowed down past the cabin, and this was made still easier by an old trail. A walk of about half a mile brought them to the dam. Rather, it brought them to the lower dam, for to their surprise they discovered another dam some distance above the first, and beyond that was a third. The result was a series of three ponds, of which the lower one was the largest, and was many acres in extent. Why? exclaimed spud it's a regular lake i didn't suppose that we'd find anything like this i thought we'd find a little pond not much more than a mud hole why this is as big as the little goose pond didn't i tell you that the sheriff said that the beavers had blocked off this end of the hollow asked plimpton you didn't suppose a little mud pond would do that did you i didn't think much about it confessed spud I just took it for granted that the hollow was pretty narrow here, and the beavers had set back enough water to spoil the trail and make it bad going. But I didn't dream of anything like this. Say, fellows, do you really believe they made all this pond? Don't you think that there was a pond here in the first place? Why, it would take an engineer to dam up a water supply like this. You've hit the nail on the head, Spud, laughed Upton. That's just what the beaver is, an engineer and a mighty good one, if I know anything about it. Sure, they made this pond, the whole of it. Probably this was a nice flat bit of wild meadow when they came into the hollow with the brook flowing through it. They probably started with a little pond and made it bigger as needed. I wonder if they made this dam first or those upper ones. I suppose we can tell by examining them. What I don't see is why a little pond isn't as good as a big one, persisted Spud. After they'd made a pond, what did they make it bigger for? They must like to work better than I do. Say, it must have taken them a good long while to build this dam. Why, the whole thing must be five or six hundred feet long. A poor guess for a hunter, Al broke in. I bet it's nearer a thousand than six hundred feet. What do you say, Walt? Let's measure it, and then we'll know, replied Walter. It's this guessing business that is at the bottom of a lot of foolish stories about things that people see, especially things in the woods. A bear looks about twice as big as he really is, eh, sister? Plimpton grinned. He sure looks big enough when you haven't got a gun, he replied. But I think you're right about this guessing business. Good scouts don't guess, they find out. I think it'll be bully to find out for ourselves all we can about this beaver colony. And the thing to begin on is the dam. Let's measure it and see how it was built, and try to find out how old it is. I haven't read much about beavers, and what I have read is awfully confusing. Some writers say one thing and some another, until a fellow doesn't know what to believe. I know they are mighty interesting animals, and now we've got a chance to find out something about them for ourselves, or their works, anyway. I say let's do it. Isn't there a Bible saying that runs something like, by their works ye shall know them. I guess that applies here, because I understand that beaver don't often show themselves in daytime, coming out at night mostly, so our chance of seeing them is small. 
but we can study their works. That'll teach us a whole lot about the animals themselves. Sister's got the right idea, said Walter. We can find out a lot if we're of a mind to, and incidentally answer some of Spud's questions. The idea that they don't come out except at night is not altogether correct from what I have heard. They are night-loving animals, all right, but in places where they are seldom molested they show themselves in daytime and even work. Seems as if this place was lonely enough for them to have no fear of interference from man, and it may be that if we hide and wait long enough one or two will show themselves. Perhaps there is none here now. Like the mound builders, they may have vanished, leaving their works only as a testimony that they once lived. The poor creatures have been hunted mercilessly in the past, but now are protected by law. I suspect, however, that a lot are illegally trapped, and it may be that the colony here has been cleaned out. The spirit of outlawry seems to have made this hollow a sort of headquarters from the beginning, right up to date, if Sheriff Bill's suspicions are true and that skunk from across the line has been hiding out here. Anyway, it's for us to determine for ourselves whether or not there are any beaver here now. Of course they're here now. What would those houses be doing out there if they were not? As he spoke, Spud pointed to three rough dome-shaped mounds over toward the northern shore and some little distance above the dam. Two of these rose fully five feet above the water, while the third was rather flattened, and even at that distance had a disreputable appearance. "'That doesn't signify anything except the beaver have been here,' retorted Walter. "'Looks to me as if one of the houses has all fallen to pieces now, and the others have been built a long time, because there is grass growing on them. Perhaps they have been abandoned. We can't tell until we get a closer look. "'Sister?' You and Hal measure the dam while Spud and I study it and see what we can find out about it. Plimpton at once produced a piece of fish line, which he knew to be just four yards long, and with Hal began to measure the dam. Walter and Spud walked along the crest of it, studying the information. It was agreed that each should keep his observations and deductions to himself until the dam had been thoroughly inspected and then that all should compare notes and see what the net results might add to their knowledge of beaver and beaver ways. It began to rain just as the two young surveyors finished measuring the dam. In anticipation of this, two ponchos had been brought along. These were at once staked out to make a shelter in the lee of a thick growth of hemlocks. A couple of logs were dragged under it for seats, and a little screen of hemlock branches arranged between it and the water but in such a way as not to interfere with the view of the beaver houses while shielding the boys from observation from the pond. "'Now let it rain,' said Spud as they made themselves comfortable under the ponchos. "'Fire away, Hal, and give us the length of the dam. I guess you were nearer right than I was. Come to walk along it, it's longer than I thought.' "'It's exactly 823 feet long,' replied Hal. "'I didn't suppose they ever built them as long as that.' "'More than twice as long.' replied Walter. There are dams which measure over two thousand feet, though of course that is very exceptional. Phew, is that so? I should think it would take the little beggars all their lives to do a job like that, and there would have to be a lot of them at that. Upton smiled. You're not far wrong on that point, Spud, said he. This dam isn't the work of one generation of beavers, but of several. How old do you think the oldest part of the dam is? Oldest part? "'Isn't it all the same age? "'I don't see any difference. "'It all looks pretty old to me.' "'Spud ran a quizzical eye along the dam. "'Poor scouting, Spud, poor scouting. "'What's the matter with your eyesight? 
"'Why, even little me, only in my second year in the woods, can see that,' laughed Plimpton. "'Look at the southern end, and then look at the end nearest us. There isn't anything but grass and weeds growing on it over there, while there are bushes and young trees on it up here.' "'That's so. I never thought about that,' Spud studied the dam with new interest. "'I suppose the oldest part is where the biggest trees are.' "'Sure thing.' "'And that's that section just to our left,' replied Walter. "'But you might have known that anyway. "'I don't see how,' said Hal, wrinkling his brows in a puzzled frown. "'By the old bed of the brook,' retorted Walter, "'and the location of the houses. "'The first dam had to be across the brook, didn't it? "'And the houses would be built where the water backed up deep enough first. "'Well, there's the old bed of the brook, "'right where the biggest trees on the dam are.' Must be that the brook originally came down well over on this side of the valley. You can see where the old bed turns down there, toward the middle of where the brook is now. The banks came down mighty steep on this side, while the other side they sloped down very gradually, and I suspect that the middle of the valley was pretty near flat. Of course, the water backed up faster on this side and gave them depth enough for their houses. It was just the right place for a dam, and the beavers knew it. "'Some engineers,' commented Spud admiringly. "'How old do you suppose the original dam is? "'Not less than thirty years, and probably nearer fifty, "'to judge by the size of that tamarack growing on it,' replied Walter. "'Well, after they got their little old pond, "'what did they want to make it bigger for?' "'I don't suppose they made all the rest of that dam just for fun,' "'persisted Spud, whose interest was now thoroughly aroused "'and who was athirst for information.' "'Not so as you'd notice it,' replied Walter. "'That isn't the beaver's way. "'He isn't afraid of work, but he doesn't work for fun. "'He knows what he is doing, and everything he does is with a purpose. "'I suppose that originally what is now the bottom of the pond was covered with trees, "'mostly food trees, probably. "'As they used these up around the edge of the pond, "'they had to go farther up on shore than they liked, "'and so they just added to the length of the dam, "'and perhaps added a little to the height "'so as to back up the water to or nearly to the trees they wanted to cut. "'You know it's a whole lot easier to float logs than to drag them. "'Later on, another generation of beavers did the same thing, "'and so the dam grew longer and the pond bigger "'until it became as we see it now.' Notice how the northern end is anchored against that big boulder. The stuff growing on that part is smaller than on the part across the old brook bed, so I guess it must have been added some years later. Probably the water ran around both ends when the dam was short. Then, when they wanted more water, they knew enough to carry this end clear to that boulder behind which the bank rises so sharply they would never have to build farther in that direction. Say, those little chaps must be some diggers, too, to get all the earth that's in the dam. "'Plimpton broke in. "'What gets me is how they brought it in here. "'Is it true that they use their broad, flat tails to carry mud on?' "'Walter laughed heartily. "'That's one of the old fables that used to pass for natural history, "'like the story that the porcupines could shoot his quills at his enemies. "'A beaver's tail is mighty useful in a lot of ways. "'He can turn it on edge and use it as propeller when he wants to swim fast. "'It makes a support for him when he sits up to cut a tree.' He uses it to signal with by slapping the water, and probably he has other uses for it, but it isn't a trowel as some old writers with more imagination than powers of observation have stated. The beaver is a good digger, all right, but don't for a minute think that he and his comrades brought all this earth here and then sodded it over. 
As a matter of fact, they brought only a small part of it. Well, how did it get here, then? asked Spud. Walter parried this with a counter-question. Do you know how they start their dams? Fell a few big trees across a brook where they want the dam, and then fill in the chinks, I suppose. I've heard that they can cut a tree that's a good many inches through, replied Spud. The latter is true enough, replied Upton, but your idea of the way they go to work to start a dam is all wrong, though I guess most people hold the same idea. I know I did until I got a hold of a recent book on the subject and saw some photographs of a new dam. That would be mighty poor engineering from the beaver's standpoint. He doesn't fell trees across the brook at all, not intentionally, anyway. He makes his dam of poles laid parallel with the stream and with the big ends pointing upstream. The bushy tops are sometimes weighted with mud and stones when the poles are in a current. The poles are anywhere from four to ten or twelve feet long, so the dam has a broad base to start with. Short sticks and small bushy trees and branches are worked in with the poles, and so the thing is built up. But a thing like that wouldn't hold water, protested Spud. Just you try filling up a brook with brush and see how quickly the water will set back, retorted Walter. Of course it works through, but it takes time, and meanwhile the water is coming down faster than it can get through the obstruction and has to set back. But the beavers do use mud and grass and stuff filling in the face of the dam so as to further stop up the flow of water, but they don't cover the dam all over with mud and earth as some people think, because there is no need. A solid dam isn't what they're after to start with, and so long as the pond maintains the desired level they don't care if it does seep through. Of course, the current brings down a lot of drift stuff, leaves and grass and twigs, and this gets washed in among the foundations and sticks there and rots away. A lot of sediment works its way in. In the fall, leaves are blown into it and cling there until they rot. Sometimes the beavers deepen the pond along the face of the dam by digging, and they put the mud they take out on the dam. So in course of time, the dam becomes almost solid. There is soil enough for grass roots to take hold, and later even young trees sprout and grow there, like those adlers yonder. The roots of all these help to still farther bind the whole mass, until at last there you are. Walter waved his hand in the direction of the dam. Seems to me that I read somewhere that they dig canals, too, said Plimpton. Sure thing. I guess they're the original canal builders of the world, replied Walter. They are just as good canal builders as dam builders, and that's going some. Canals! exclaimed Spud. What the dickens do they want with canals? Same thing as the men want with them. Easy transportation of freight. They run them up the grooves standing back from the pond, where the ground is level, or nearly so, and float their food logs down that way. They are usually filled by seepage, but sometimes they tap a spring and fill a canal from that. "'Speaking of food, what do they eat?' asked Plimpton. "'Lily and other roots in the summer, but their mainstay is bark, especially poplar or aspen. "'They also eat birch and adler bark. "'In the fall they harvest a big lot of young trees, "'cut them into short lengths, and sink these with the larger branches "'in a big pile near the house, where they can get at it under the ice. "'I wouldn't wonder if these fellows here were beginning their harvest. "'Tell us about the houses, Mr. Naturalist.' begged Spud. "'You can see those for yourself,' retorted Walter. "'They make a big platform of sticks and mud until it comes a few inches above the level of the water. Then they raise a thick wall of sticks wadded together, 
and this is covered with mud, brush, and trash. There is one room inside having two or more entrances from passages under water at sufficient depth to be sure that they will not freeze up in the coldest weather. The top of the roof is never closed wholly with mud, as are the side walls, but opportunity is left for air to filter through. Old houses are usually repaired each fall by adding sticks where needed and by giving a new coating of mud. Hold on, expostulated Hal. Chief Scout Seaton says that the beaver finishes the outside of his house with sticks, not mud. Probably the Chief Scout has made a more sweeping statement than he meant to. Just look at those houses over there and see for yourself. If the mud wasn't the last thing applied to those houses, then something is wrong with my eyes. Another chap, one of the best riders on the beaver that I know of, tells about watching them replaster their houses in preparation for winter and shows photographs of houses on which you can see only the ends of a few sticks. I suppose that beavers, like most other animals, vary in habits according to environment, and the houses the chief scout has examined happen to be without the mud covering. At that moment Spud gave a warning hiss and nodded toward the houses. Near one of them was a little brown head, and behind it was a widening silver ripple. It was a beaver swimming. He's headed this way whispered Spud. Everybody hold his breath and don't move. Perhaps we shall have a chance to see him close. Straight in swam the beaver, while the watchers did literally hold their breath. When within about twenty feet of the dam, he swerved and swam parallel with the dam for a short distance, and then abruptly dived. Do you suppose he saw us or smelt us? whispered Spud in a disappointed tone. Walter shook his head. If he would have been frightened, he would have whacked the water with his tail as he went under and so warned his friends, he whispered. Keep perfectly still and we may see him again. Intently the four boys watched the water, but there was no sign of the beaver. Then Plimpton, out of the tail of his eye, caught a movement on the dam some thirty feet below where the beaver had disappeared. With a nod of his head he drew the attention of the others to this spot. There, climbing up, was the beaver. In the water he had appeared graceful. Out of the water he seemed quite the reverse. His short legs and thick body made him appear awkward and clumsy. But when he sat up, as he did presently, after what appeared to be an inspection of a certain place in the dam, his awkwardness disappeared. Apparently, satisfied that all was as it should be, he presently began to eat the bark from a freshly cut poplar stick. It was a picture to be remembered. The forest-encircled lake, its placid surface disturbed only by the spattering raindrops, the surrounding mountains with their tops buried in the low-hanging clouds, and there at his ease on the monumental work of his ancestors, surveying the scene with every appearance of contentment, the descendant of the original settlers of the wilderness. Hal, shifting his position that he might the easier watch the dam-builder, inadvertently snapped a twig underfoot. It was a very tiny snap, and it did not seem possible that it could have carried to the unsuspecting beaver. But in an instant he had dived into the pond, his tail hitting the water with a slap that rang like a pistol shot. It was answered by two distant slaps from close to shore beyond the houses. "'Great Scott, some hearing that fellow's got!' exclaimed Hal. Walter stretched his cramped legs. "'I guess that's all the beaver will see today,' said he. Looks to me as if this rain means to keep it up for the rest of the day, and I guess the best thing we can do is to hike back to camp. 
and not have a look at those other dams, nor look for their canals or the place where they are cutting?' protested Spud. "'I'm getting too all-fired interested to quit now.' "'All right, Spud, you can stay if you want to. I'm going back to camp,' said Walter. "'I guess you can't get lost up here, and if you want to stay and study beavers in the wet, I have no objections. How about you other fellows?' Hal and Plimpton elected to return to camp, but Spud insisted that he was going as far as the next dam, anyway. "'Water isn't going to hurt me, and now I've got the chance to see for myself these things that Walt's been telling about. I'm going to do it. You mollycoddles can trot along. This is your Uncle Spud's calling day on beavers. And if I don't get in by sundown, you can send out a relief party.' You'll probably find me taking dinner with the king or the president or whatever the main guy of the beaver tribe is. Just as you say, Upton replied. Only don't forget that there isn't any sundown on a rainy day, and get back in good season lest your dear comrades get the idea that you have overrun the trail. A general laugh followed the sally, but Spud came back promptly. That's all right, Walt. I may have overrun my trail once. It may not be wise to the history of beavers, but I bet with all your fine observation I have seen some things that the rest of you haven't. The detective on his job. Spit it out, Spud, and get it out of your system, shouted Hal. Spud grinned. Well, who knows who visited this dam before we did this morning, he demanded. No one answered. Old Mr. Bear, said Spud. "'found a nice fresh track in a soft place on the dam "'when we were coming along. "'Thought none of you saw it. "'More than that, deer travel across here, and rabbits too, "'because I found their sign. "'Now tell me that I don't use my eyes.' "'You win,' replied Hal. "'You're the boss little tracker of the lone wolves, "'when you don't have to find yourself.' "'On the way back across the dam, "'Spud pointed out the tracks and signs he had seen.' and Walter proffered the information that, according to what he had read, old beaver dams are regular highways for the wilderness people. At the end of the dam, Spud turned off to pursue his investigations, and the others headed for camp. End of chapter 12